0: The new series is uh, focusing on the book of Ephesians, and we're going to spend, I think, the next ten weeks looking our way through uh, through Ephesians, which is going to be very exciting. We've called the series "Deeper in the Risen Jesus." We want you to emerge from this series loving Jesus more, knowing Him better, and uh, that praise uh, that Jeff was speaking about flowing from us because we have great reasons. Uh, To praise him. So uh, I'm going to ask God to help us now, uh, that he might prepare us, and that he might indeed do exactly that amongst us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word that you've preserved. Thank you for this letter. I pray, Father, now that you would be at work, that your Holy Spirit would challenge us, that he would change us, and that, Father, he might secure us, that we might have great confidence in the beautiful work of your Son, Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, I wanted to, uh, to start our, our talk off tonight off the back of something that uh, happened 100 years ago. Uh, does anyone know what happened 100 years ago this week? Uh, Russ? The Battle of Possier. Uh Western Front, uh, World War I, uh, battlefield uh, that looked like this a very, very important battle for Australian troops. Uh, some of them had come from Gallipoli to the Western Front, and here was a push to try and break through the German lines that had been uh, established and, uh, and were severely dug in. Uh, it was, it's been called uh, the worst day in Australian history. We kind of think of Gallipoli in that category, don't we? Uh, on this one night when they first initiated the attack, uh, 2,000 Australians died. Uh, Over the course of the day, 5,500 were killed or injured on the 19th of July, 100 years ago. The the truly amazing thing for us, I guess, sitting here this morning is, some of us may never have heard the name of this battle before, yeah? Between this date and August, Australian troops, killed or wounded, lost 23,000 men in this place. It's just inconceivable, isn't it? What makes it even more inconceivable is that there were only 5 million Australians at that point. The battle was incredibly fierce. Uh, The Australians did actually push through and all that succeeded in doing was creating a bulge at which the Germans now could fire everything into this bulge in the line and they were absolutely decimated. Pozier was... uh, truly horrific battle and uh, it's commemorated, I saw it on the news last night actually, a live service from uh, from Poziers at um, whatever time it was, I was up last night, uh, they're actually showing that, that live from France, the commemoration service uh, from this battlefield. So it's interesting, this Anzac story, a story that actually many of us might be ignorant to, uh, interestingly enough if we If we listen to the way Australian historians uh, talk about these battles, they say, here's a story about something that defines us as a nation. Here's a story about something that identifies us. This is Australia spilling its blood for freedom on the other side of the world. Here's a story that includes us. There's a sense that we are part of this story. Now, today, I want to suggest to you that it is very good for us to understand our history. It's very good for us to have a corporate identity, a, a sense of something that's bigger than ourselves. But I want to suggest, particularly today as Christians, that we have a story like this. And it's not 100 years old. It's 2,000 years old and older still. And it's that story that I want to speak to us about today today. It's a story that's found in the Bible, and uh, this is my overview of the Bible. Uh, it's a picture overview. It starts from new creation on the left there, uh, from creation all the way through to new creation at the end there. Uh, these first set of uh, pictures are the Old Testament. The next set is the New Testament. The book that we're reading from in your Bibles here is called Ephesians. It's it's a letter actually written to a church in a place called Ephesus. Uh, where does that fit in our timeline? Uh, fits in here. Uh, after Jesus' birth, his death and his resurrection, after the coming of the Holy Spirit, before his return and the new creation, basically the same period of time that you and I are in today. But this letter was written in uh, 61 to 62 AD. I don't think it took him a year to write, but that's the approximate time uh, when it was written. So it's a very early letter uh, written to the Ephesians, who are the people who live in Ephesus. Uh, Where's Ephesus, you may ask? Well, it's dive in on our map of the world. Uh, Ephesus is up here on the coast uh, in modern Turkey. Uh, Jerusalem, for reference, is back down here. And the good news of Jesus has got out from this corner of the world in Jerusalem here all the way round up to Ephesus. Uh, it's interesting, I say it's on the coast. It's actually no longer on the coast. It used to be. Uh, there's a river that flows into this little bay where the city was and As the rivers flowed in, it's actually filled up the bay, and there's actually it's actually inland now uh, from where the coast is uh, because uh, because it was um, uh, filled and filled and silted up. Uh, One of the most famous places you can go and visit uh, Ephesus today. And Jeff, I think Jeff and Kathy were you with Jeff when you did it? Great. Has anyone else been to Ephesus? Oh my goodness, there are actually multiple hands here. How brilliant. I'm going to speak very humbly and cautiously then because people have actually been there and I haven't. Uh, this is the, uh, the amphitheater uh, in Ephesus, which is truly extraordinary. It gives you a size of the scale of the town. Uh, this could seat 24,000 people. Pretty amazing, isn't it? It's 2,000 years old now or older. Uh, apparently, I haven't been there, but apparently you can stand in the centre there and speak at a normal speaking voice, without amplification, you can be heard at the back. The wonders of the physics of uh, parabolas and all those sorts of exciting things there. Uh, but so there's the amphitheater. It was a massive city, a very significant city. Uh, in fact, uh, it wasn't just a large city. It, it housed one of the seven wonders of the world, which is the Temple of Artemis and Artemis. Uh, To give you an idea of how big this temple was, it was probably the largest building in existence in the world at that time. It was 100 metres long, 50 metres wide, and it was 20 metres tall. Uh, That's the height of our tower out here, if that kind of gives you some sort of sense of scale. A truly extraordinary building for their goddess. Now, Paul had passed through uh, Ephesus... Uh, In the first of his journeys, uh, Paul is one of the uh, founders of the church, a Jew who was converted and said, I'm no longer a Jew, I'm a Christian, I'm going to take the message that I understood in the Old Testament, but that I now see fulfilled in Jesus, this has to go out to the whole world. And so he started travelling around the ancient world, and uh, he came to Ephesus in 52 AD, he returned again later, and actually spent two and a half years in Ephesus teaching, teaching he started off in the Jewish synagogue until they kicked him out after three months. And then he just met in a lecture hall and preached there uh, for about two years, saying to everyone, it says, so that everyone in the province of Asia, basically modern Turkey, heard the good news. He's a very productive guy, uh, young Paul. So two and a half years. Uh, the temple was for this uh, goddess, uh, Artemis. And if you're wondering what they are at the front of her, uh, Various debates, um, but she was a goddess of fertility, so it's possible uh, that there are a multiplicity of uh, breasts. So there you go. Quite extraordinary. Uh, but that's, that's the goddess who was worshipped there. Uh, the really extraordinary thing was, as the preaching about Jesus took hold, the people who were making little statues of uh, Artemis started to go out of business. There was such a societal change in this massive city of Ephesus that they started to go out of business. And in 57 AD, they had a riot because Paul was preaching Jesus and not their goddess. It had a huge impact on the city that Jesus was proclaimed. And because this city was a central city for the whole region of modern Turkey... Uh, Its impact radiated out throughout this whole region. To give you an idea of how important it was, it's been said that all roads lead to Rome. Uh, In Turkey, in Asia Minor, uh, every road was measured by its distance to Ephesus. When Paul writes this letter, he's left uh, Ephesus, Uh, he's actually in jail in Rome... And we believe it's somewhere in this 61-62 AD period that he writes a letter to the church to say, hey church, let me encourage you. Uh, often the letters in the, Old, in the New Testament are writing to a specific problem and he's writing to address a problem. Here it just seems like Paul is writing to encourage and strengthen uh, the church, uh, which makes it even more beautiful, I think. Now let's, uh, let's open up our Bibles, we're on page uh, 1173 if you're on the, um, the Pew Bibles. Let's work through what uh, what we have here. Uh, it opens with these words: "Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." It's interesting; almost every one of the New Testament letters opens with this greeting: "Grace and peace." And uh, I think it's interesting as we as we sit here today, uh, to think that greeting's a beautiful greeting but i think sometimes grace and peace can be strangers to us personally i don't know god's favor that's his grace and i don't know god's peace that's the quietness the assurance the confidence in my heart and so today as we work our way through uh, these uh, 14, first 14 verses I want us to think about how these words from Ephesus can speak to every one of us in the times when we lack grace and we lack peace. Now, I've been sitting uh, in homes uh, recently, and I'm convinced that many, many of us feel at times that we lack worth, that we lack value. For some of us, that may be because someone is speaking words that undermine us into our lives. They're acting in ways that undercut our worth, that declare we are worthless. For some of us, it might be our relationships at work, where people relentlessly put us down. For some of us, it may be the sense that I don't know what I'm doing that's of any value in the world. We can ask the question am I of any worth? Wonderfully, there's a beautiful answer from this passage. Uh, I I think uh, as a kid growing up, the time that you know whether you're worthy or not is this moment, isn't it? Do you you know this moment? Some of you might have been the kid that always got picked first. And uh, well done for you. Uh, But some of us weren't, were we? And you were there waiting, please somebody pick me. I may have two left feet or I may not be able to catch or I might, I can't, maybe I can't run or whatever it is, but please pick me. Have a listen to these incredible words uh, in Ephesians from uh, verses four to six. Read it with me. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Whose side have you been picked for? Who has chosen you? Who has not only chosen you for his side, but it says here, adopted you As a son. And for some of you who are women here going, I don't really want to be adopted as a son, I want to be adopted as a woman. And in that sense, let me encourage you, you are adopted. The point is, you're adopted to inherit. The, The son always inherits, yeah? You're adopted to inherit. So you are of immense value, all of you, who have been chosen. How do I know if I'm worth anything? Well, it tells me here that before the creation of the world, he chose us. He chose us. It's, uh, it's an incredible thing because he didn't choose us because we were the best looking. He didn't choose us because we could send tennis balls up the field a long way. He didn't choose us because you can kick and score goals. He chose us solely because of his love. Before you had done anything, look when it was. Before the creation of the world, what could you contribute then? Church, so we're clear and we're listening on Sunday morning, what could you contribute then? All right, were you with me? You could contribute nothing and yet he chose you. Your worth is in you, not what you do. God himself chose, chose and adopted us he says i want you for my family and i care so much about it i did it before you were born in fact before this world existed are you of any worth yes you were chosen by your heavenly father but we can we can come back don't we but many of us will have these These thoughts, right? So you can go, okay, Stuart, I was listening. I I understand you said that God chose me. And maybe he did. But now that I've been born, now that the world has come into being, now that I've had a chance to live, I'm not perfect. I, I fall short of my own standards. How could a holy, loving God, how could he accept me? How could he accept me with all of my flaws and failings? How could he choose me? How could he accept me? I, I love whiteboards. My, my whiteboards don't ever look like this. Can, can you see up there, now someone's obviously writing things, I, I don't know, somebody probably knows what that says up there, I, I haven't got a clue uh, what's going on there. But here's the thing that makes my, my brain itch a little bit as a person who really likes clean whiteboards. Can, can you see all the other stuff that's behind it not really wiped out? See, someone kind of thought that they'd wiped it out, but they hadn't really wiped it out. Can I I say to you today, many of us will feel this way about our sin. It's kind of wiped out, but I kind of remember it. I'm kind of scarred by it. I kind of carry it. And there's other stuff written there, but I feel like I'm not free from it. Have a listen to these beautiful words as to what Jesus has done. So it says, God chose us. Who did he choose us through? He chose us in the one he loves. Who's that? Jesus Christ. Verse 7. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and earth to unity under Christ how much grace did god use to forgive us well it says the riches of his grace which he has lavished on us i love that word what does it mean excessive generous abundant what did he do he forgave us he forgave us. What it means is this, have a a look up, It's, it's the bit where somebody comes in with the right stuff, if my click will work, here it is, nice, and they actually do the job of cleaning the board properly. Do you know why I love whiteboards so much? You can't get the data back. Are you with me? Except for those pesky ones that print out. Yeah, yeah, okay, I know. Some of you have got electronic whiteboards. Let's let's pretend they don't exist, okay? But here's the thing. On a regular whiteboard, when it's wiped out, can you get it back? Well, the answer, of course, is no, of course you can't. How forgiven are you? So forgiven, so washed, so cleansed, so purified that there is no recall. It's done, gone, paid for. Jesus has redeemed and forgiven us. Praise God. Incidentally, the only one who wants to remind you then of your sin, past and forgiven, is who? Satan. We'll be clear, name it. He has totally forgiven us. Satan is the only one who would bring it back to you. That guilt, that condemnation has no place in Jesus. He has utterly redeemed and utterly forgiven us. There is no recourse, no recall. That data is gone praise God. What if I have doubts? Does anyone here have doubts? Don't put your hands up. Of course you do. It's perfectly reasonable. Of course we have doubts. What does this passage say to those who would have doubts? Well, I I love this this, I found this. I found this letter. Googling, you know, who, who doesn't love a bit of a Google every now and again? Uh, I was thinking about this concept of forgiveness, and I came up with this letter, which is from Elizabeth II, by the grace of God of the United Kingdom, of the Great Britain, Northern Ireland, etc. Brexit. Who knows how that all works? But uh, okay. Uh, here's, here's the Queen. Here's her signature. What else is in the top left corner there? Can you see what it is? It's her seal. It says, I say this. It's marked, signed, sealed and delivered. Do you know what it was saying? It was actually saying to uh, this man uh, that was in jail that his sentence was cancelled. And it's signed by the Queen and sealed by the Queen. It's guaranteed by her name and by her seal. How beautiful. Have a listen to what God said he has done for us in his Holy Spirit. Have a look with me. Uh, actually we'll read from verse uh, verse eleven, because it's it's great from there. In him, in Jesus, we we're also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. See, what has He done? What has God done for us? He has declared our sins cancelled. And you can go, yeah, but I doubt it. I'm not sure. And he says, well, I've sealed it, I've signed it, I've delivered it. How has he sealed and signed it and delivered it? He's put his Holy Spirit into the hearts of those who know and love him. His Holy Spirit. He says, I will come and dwell in you. The person of my spirit will come and take up residence in your hearts. You will ne-. When Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you, do you know that promise? He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. How can he do that when he's at the Father's right hand? He says, well, I will send the Holy Spirit who will be with you, who will be a comforter, who will be in your hearts. You will never be alone. Because the Holy Spirit himself will take up residence in your hearts. When you doubt, here's what you can know. That seal of the Holy Spirit gives you safety, it gives you security, and it gives you sonship. We can often feel, I've got a great quote from John Piper, one of my favourite preachers, he says this, there's a paradox here. For many people, most people I think, the more we focus on the subjective inner workings of our own soul, and the relative purity or impurity of our own attitudes and behaviour, the more uncertain we become of our own assessment of our authenticity. Paradoxically, the path to assurance is a shift of our focus off ourselves and onto God, off the subjective and onto the objective. What that means is, when you doubt, don't look inside yourself and feel, do I feel confident enough? Look to God and say, did he give me his Holy Spirit? Yes, Did his son Jesus die for me? Yes. Did he choose me before the creation of the world? Yes. How do you know it? He's put his Holy Spirit in our hearts. How do you know it? He's written it in his word and it's there before you. Take your mind off the feeling in your tummy and place it on the firmness of his word and the presence of his spirit. God's Holy Spirit seals and assures us. Praise God. I think this question naturally follows. That's awesome, God. I love that you've done this extraordinary thing, but here's the thing. Why would you bother? Why would you choose me? Why would you care enough about us that you would do this for me? Why would you bother? Here's the answer. (laughs) The is in a fountain. Uh, has anyone had kids near one of these fountains? W- what do they do? There's a, gravi- there's a kind of gravity to water, isn't there, for tiny humans? They just can't help it. They must be in the fountain. And you go, but it's cold today. Does it matter? If there's moving water anywhere... They're just drawn. Do it, and when they're in it, they're like, "Oh, this is boring." Is that right? Never. You don't have to tell the kids have fun in the in the in the in the the um, fountain, particularly when it's one of those ones like down here at Oran Park that jumps up and down, and you're not sure when it's going to jump up and down and wet you. They just love it. It's a delight. It's a pure joy. Keep that in mind as we have a look at these two sets of verses. Why did God do it? Why did he choose us? Why did he elect us? It says uh, in uh, in verse 4, He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with what? His pleasure and his will. Now there's the bit you didn't expect. He did it for his pleasure That's extravagant. There's no obligation in pleasure, is there? There's just delight. There's joy. There's the overflow of a generous heart. Why did God choose us? For his pleasure, it says there. And again, in verses 8 and 9, it says, God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. All I want to point out to you here this morning, guys, is there's twice in this passage something that we would never expect from God. Why did he do it? For his pleasure, because it was a joy to him to choose you for sonship. That's not very practical or utilitarian, is it? No, it's just a joy. Because the loving Father of the universe chose you to be preciously relating to him. Thank you, Jesus. God's love and good pleasure are the reason. What does he want in return? There must be some catch here, mustn't there? What do you want from me, God? What, why did you, you did it for your pleasure, but what was the ultimate purpose there? Here's what it is. This delight that he has expressed to us should be expressed back to him. Lord, if you delight in me, how much more should I delight in you? John Piper says, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. When my life makes sense in light of who he is, I will be glorifying him the most. And what's more, I'll be living the best life I can possibly live. What does the Heavenly Father want from us? Well, have, have a look. He, he, he sprinkles it throughout. In verse, in verse 3 it says, He's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in, in Christ. Uh, it says in verse 6 uh, that we would be to the praise of His glorious grace. Uh, In verse 12, it says, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And in verse 14, it says that uh, until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. What does he desire? That we would be for the praise of his glory. That we would be people who turn our hearts over to him in joy. And you might think to yourself, well, I'm I'm not really a singing kind of type. So if the only thing you have in mind is songs of praise, you might think to yourself, well, I'm not really into this whole kind of glorifying God gig. Do you know what? You cannot sing and praise God, but I reckon every heart that desires to praise God will want to sing. And here's the thing. Because he made you, he knows what your voice is like. So I reckon, I've I've been sold on this for a long time. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord is what I do. Not necessarily in tune, not necessarily on the right beat. Don't clap next to me, I'll, I'll be clapping out of time. But, but here's the thing. Take who you are, who he made you to be, and turn it back to him in praise. Turn it back to him in praise. Well, I reckon this is the, uh, the thing I want to keep coming back to throughout this series. Because I'm waxing lyrical. You can tell I'm excited about this. But you might think to yourself, yeah, well, Whatever. What have you done for me lately, God? What difference can all this excitement on Sunday make for me on Monday? Let me offer you an attempt to answer that question. Here's our Bible timeline. What I want to tell you today, here's your take home, I reckon. You were chosen before the creation of the world. You are of immense value. Your future is guaranteed. It is signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. You were bought at great cost by the living Son of God who died for you and rose that you might be bought back. Have your sins utterly forgiven beyond recourse. What difference does it make tomorrow? What does he want from you? He wants you to accept his word. He wants you to believe it deep in your heart. He wants you to be sealed with the Holy Spirit and he wants you to overflow with praise. When should that happen? Well, don't wait till Monday. You can get on with that today, you know. For those of you who are struggling with worth, people are speaking desperately damaging rubbish into your life. What is your worth? You were chosen by the creator of the world before the beginning of time. He chose you and he didn't make a mistake. Those of you who are wondering about acceptance, will anyone pick me on their team? We've been redeemed. He bought you at the price of his son. For those of you who doubt, don't be afraid. He has guaranteed your inheritance. You will see his face in glory. For those of you who wonder what your purpose is, wherever you are, started in praise started in praise what stories define us we can go with stories like Posy and they're good stories and we should know our history and it should inform us but i want to tell you today you're part of such a more glorious story aren't you this story before the beginning of time that will continue after the end of time into all glory forever and ever, that story is your story. Find your place in that story. Today, I want you to hear this greeting to the church in Ephesus again. I want you to see that this greeting can be yours. To God's holy people in Ephesus, to God's holy people in Orem Park, The faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We sang our God is three in one. We said our God is three in one. God the Father has purposed you. God the Son has redeemed you. And God the Holy Spirit has sealed you. Grace and peace be yours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are glorious things. These are glorious things you purposed before you made the whole world. Father, you are bringing everything together under your Son, Jesus, for his glory. Father, may we find all that we need in the good pleasure and purpose of your will. Thank you for sealing us and assuring us. Give us grace. Give us peace. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.